This week there are only three questions, which means I've got a bit more time to answer them. And if you want to ask a question at any time in the future, then you can do so by either scanning in the QR code that is at the bottom of our service sheet, or you can fill in one of the little response cards, which we call the Connect cards. Here's the first one. And it's a bit of a technical question. I'll give you a bit of a technical answer too. Why was the NLT right to translate ministry as making dinner? Well, the NLT stands for the New Living Translation. That's the version of the Bible that we use here in church as our Bible reading Bible and also the Bible I use to preach from. And the question's a follow-up to the question from last week where we saw that in Luke chapter 10, verse 40, it says in the NLT, but Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. But a more kind of literal translation, like the ESV, said just Martha was distracted with much serving. That's all it says. Well, it turns out that the NLT has added in a few extra words that are not in the original language. Are they right to do that? Well, the first thing it's very important to know is that you can trust the English translations, whether it's an NIV, an ESV, a CSV, an ABC, an NRMA, whatever it is, any Bible, pretty much nearly all of them are fine. They're trustworthy, they're good, and uh, with one or two notable exceptions, they are all readable and understandable and trustworthy. But the thing is that there's no perfect translation of the Bible. Every version needs to add a few extra English words to make sense of the original language, which was either in Greek or Hebrew or maybe even a little bit of Aramaic in there as well. And, but the, the NLT that we use, uh, it goes to even more liberties to try and make it as clear as possible for us. And I think it's a great version for, pub, for Bible reading in public and also for younger readers and good for preaching as well. And if ever I think that I'd... I'd favour a different translation, I'll just say, hey, and have a look at this other version, which we'll do from time to time. But the point is, there's no perfect Bible translation. And that's because the Bibles we have today try to translate not just the words, but actually the thinking. And if they can translate the thinking, then it means that it's more understandable for us. I'll give you another example while we're at it. Here in 1 Timothy chapter 4, is a, a literal translation. It says, Until I come, devote yourselves to the reading, to exhortation, to teaching. Now, what does it mean when it says devote yourselves to the reading? Well, it's probably Bible reading, and it's probably a Bible reading that's read out in a public setting. Because look at the other two things, exhortation and teaching. So what have all the translations in English done? Well, they've done what the ESV's done. They've added in the word public and they've added in the word of scripture. Those words actually don't appear in the original language. But you can see why it makes a whole lot of sense to put them in there. And so what we have with our Bibles is we have a translation of the original words into the language that we speak and we think and we know. And sometimes to make it as accurate as possible, you've actually got to make some words added in there that weren't in the original so that you can translate the thinking in the best way possible. Um, 
I think a great thing for us to do is to have multiple English translations at your disposal. The great thing about our Bible apps is you can just press a button and you can switch from the NLT to ESV to all sorts of different versions. And that could be a useful tool as you're studying the Bible. Over this last week, the staff went away for two days for our annual staff retreat. And we spent a couple of hours looking through the text of Malachi, which is our book of the, uh, our, our book of the month, the other book of the month, the Bible's one. And we, look, we looked at it in the ESV and we spent a whole lot of time digging deep to try and work out what the different chapters meant. Then the day after, we went into the NLT and we saw a different version and we could see how similar that they were, but also how they highlighted different things as well. I think that it's a great thing for us all to, in our own study, to have any different English versions in front of us for that reason. I think it's also good for some of us to devote our time to studying Greek and Hebrew, and uh, it's good that some people do that. I spent a few years doing that, and I trust that it's helped me understand the Bible better so I can help explain it to you as well. But I'll, I'll give you a little secret hint. Having multiple translations in the English is pretty close anyway, and I recommend you do that. Question two. Is it okay to want to do things for God as an act of thanksgiving? Well, absolutely. That's exactly why we do good things. Like I said last week, we don't do good things to try and make God like us. And that's because unless we're perfect, it's not going to work. The big problem we've got is that we have a broken relationship with God. Remember with the two ways to live, the very first box has a crown and it, we cross it out. The big problem we face is a broken relationship. And the only way to fix that broken relationship is if somebody takes that punishment upon themselves and fixes that relationship up. And that's what Jesus did by dying on the cross for us. But as God's forgiven friends, that's why we will want to please God. Not so that he'll please us, but because we're already his friends. That's what you do for friends. But even as we do those good works, here's the cool thing, even they have come from God himself. Ephesians chapter 2, 8 to 10 summarizes this really nicely. He says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Even the things we do, the good works, they've come from God as well. And isn't it wonderful that through these good works we can honour his name? Final question. How does God feel when a person turns to Christ? Well, wasn't it great last week? to have a prayer that we could all have on the screen. And maybe even some of you may have prayed that prayer for the first time and said, I want to follow Jesus as king. And if you did that for the first time, you can be sure that God was rejoicing. There's a great series of stories that Jesus told, parables in Luke chapter 15. The first is the parable of the lost sheep. And it ends by saying, in the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. There's joy in heaven. And then after that, there's the parable of the lost coin, where it says similarly, in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. 
they're just a couple of glimpses there. But I found a really lovely way of, uh, a lovely part of the Bible, I think, that expresses God's joy when he sees salvation. It's from the Old Testament. It's from the prophecy of Zephaniah. And let me read it to you. Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 14 to 17. Sing, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. For the Lord will remove his hand of judgment and will disperse the armies of your enemy. And the Lord himself, the King of Israel, will live among you. At last your troubles will be over and you will never again fear disaster. On that day, the announcement to Jerusalem will be, Cheer up, Zion. Don't be afraid. For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty saviour. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. Isn't that a great way to describe God to describe what it is like for him to save us and to be amongst us? And it's such a great chapter of the Bible. You know, I, I reckon I'm going to preach on that on Christmas Day. So come along in a month's time on the 25th and you'll hear me speak on Zephaniah chapter 3, God willing. Well, it's now time for us to pray to God.